Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Spencer McLaughlin in for John Canzano, rolling along here in hour one on the bald-faced truth. Lots to get to around the Pac-12 and whether or not there will even be a Pac-12 come Monday morning. It's a valid question to ask, so let's talk about it with Carter Baines, BeaverBlitz.com, 24-7 Sports National Writing Desk. Carter, good afternoon, my friend. Thanks for having me, Spencer. So your reaction to Colorado uh, finalizing their uh, Board of Regents meeting earlier this afternoon, a unanimous 9 to nothing vote to return to the Big 12 after joining the pack in 2011. Yeah, you know, initially I think not necessarily a death sentence immediately for the Pac-12, but, uh, you know, you and I were, were, were talking off the air and, said just the precedent that it sets moving forward i mean you talk about the potential for other teams to follow them and i think that's where things get pretty hairy um particularly as i'm sure we'll talk about for a school like oregon state that you know relies on the pac-12's existence yeah it it just feels like in in a in a sport that is so driven in many ways by perception momentum narrative discussion everything you know the way a conference is is framed. I mean, this is not even the the first. Uh, it's probably the worst PR the PAC has ever had since uh, it became the PAC-12. But it's not like this is the first time the PAC has ever been a, a, a punching bag, so to speak, or that they've just been low hanging fruit for jokes on uh, sports talk radio shows and podcasts uh, across the country and whatnot. Whether it's lack of visibility or not making the playoff or you know everything like that. Do you, do you have a sense at all at how likely the Colorado move is to snowball into other teams? I mean, I think it's certainly possible. You know, it's, it had been stable for a full year after UCLA and USC. And, you know, we we kept wondering for a year, you know, is anyone going to follow them? Who's next? Uh, you know, who's tied to, to which conference? Um, and now you have movement again. And obviously I think that sets the – a precedent for for other teams to follow if if conferences are interested. There's obvious you know historical ties between Colorado and the Big Twelve, and you know they're a big brand right now. So I think you know they were always an obvious candidate. But there are other schools in the Pac-12 that you know I, I think are attractive options for the Big Twelve, and maybe this opens the door for them to follow. Yeah, I mean, Brett Yormark's been very open about his desire to be in as many time zones as possible. And uh, look, the Pac-12 is, of course, the best place to look for that. You're not going to look to the Mountain West if you can look to the the Pac-12 first. You have bigger schools, you have bigger brands, more money, more more everything along that front. So you, you've covered Oregon State for for a good while. Do you see them at all sneaking into a, a potential invitation or or, or discussions? Or do you think they're uh, completely on the outside looking in as uh, we continue this this kind of back-and-forth dance uh, between the, the Pac-12 and the Big 12? I don't see it right now just because I, I think there are other candidates that, frankly, are stronger. You know, those those four-corner schools, Colorado being one of them, I mean, that have been linked to the Big 12 for years. You know, I, I think they bring a lot to the table that Oregon State doesn't, to be honest. And as an Oregon State alum and then somebody who covered Oregon State for five years, you know, obviously it's it's sad 
they're not one of the top candidates, but it, the, the TV market, the um, you know the the history, the the brand size, it's it's just not at the same level as, as some of the other candidates in the in the Pac-12. So I think the only way they get in to another conference, say the Big 12, um, is is being paired with a school. You know, does the Big 12 want to have an odd number of schools? I, I guess we'll find out. We'll see if, if anyone joins Colorado to even things out. But I, I feel like that is the, the primary path for Oregon State to a different conference. Uh, just because I think, again, solely going back to how much value they add to a conference uh, financially, of, of course, being the the uh, the primary factor, uh, it, it's just not there by themselves, to be, to be quite frank. I want to run this idea by you because I've had this thought about Colorado and, you know, why they would make this decision right now. And, you know, they, they've cited stability, assurance, guarantee, safety, right? Like they, they know what they're going to get in the Big 12. We still don't know what the media deal would look like in, in the Pac-12. We've been speculating it, you know, or speculating about it rather for longer than I can remember. It's gotten to the point where I don't even remember what happened last football season for the most part. I just kind of remember, and I don't just say that because I'm an Oregon fan, but I (laughs) I don't remember what happened because it was so long ago. It was so many news stories and, and news cycles ago. But if you're Colorado, I think part of the reason that this makes sense even though they wanted to be in the Pac-12, because if they'd wanted the Big 12, they could have moved any time in March, April, May, June, or any time in, in July. I think they got kind of forced into the situation by the Pac's inability to cobble together a, a media rights deal, like any media rights deal, not even a good enough deal, but any deal whatsoever. But I think the stability component ties into Deion Sanders, not because you know Deion necessarily wants to be in the Big 12. Maybe he does, but he can recruit whoever he wants and wherever he wants. But just kind of this sense of when you're starting a new era, you're you're relaunching your program, you're relaunching your identity as a football team. You're trying to rebrand yourself as an athletics institution that is, you know, not just capable of packing the house to watch a bad football team, but to try to usher in a new era. You're trying to start fresh. And I think in the midst of doing that, Colorado looked at the situation on the ground and said, okay, we, we, we have to be sure that we're going to be able to be on television, to get exposure, to allow people to see the new Colorado, and they weren't willing to wait any longer to take a chance on, on the Pac-12 media deal. Yeah, the, the timing couldn't be better for Colorado because, I mean, this is the highest Colorado stock has been probably since it joined the Pac-12. Uh, it, it had that one solid season. I you know, can't remember the win total off the top of my head, where, but they were competitive at a, a conference championship caliber. Um, and, and then in 2020 as well, you know, they, they, they won a handful of games in that shortened season. Uh, but outside of that, Colorado hasn't been a big brand in, in, in the Pac-12. You know, they have the history for sure, but they haven't won games. Um, and, and so to make this move now, I, I think it's, it's smart. It makes a lot of sense for Colorado. Um, there is an element of, of course, of the Pac-12 shooting itself in the foot, not getting this media deal done. Um, you know, we're not in these, we're not in the rooms where these conversations go down, and we, we haven't seen the numbers, obviously. Um, but if it's a case of the Pac-12 dragging its feet, uh, you know, I, I think we look at we look at it as another case of of the Pac-12 kind of creating its own demise. 
um, with, with with the delay in the media rights and, and schools like Colorado saying, hey, you know what, enough is enough. Like if, if you can't prove that you're stable, we have to move to something that is. Um, and, and that's the unfortunate part. It, it just feels like not enough actions have been taken to prevent something like this. And in some ways it is surprising that it took this long for another school to leave. Carter Baines, BeaverBlitz.com and 24-7 Sports National Desk uh, joining me here on the Bald Face Truth. Spencer McLaughlin in for John Canzano. So, Carter, I, I hate having to discuss this possibility, but it is a real one. Now, we don't know what, what's going to happen as, as we're talking about this stuff. We don't know who else could jump. We don't know, you know, what, what else, what other moves are going to happen. Is the Big 12 going to go for one more team? And if they go for one more team, can a collection of eight pack teams cobble together a media deal and a conference and add four G5 or two group of five expansions? I, I, I don't know. But I, I wanted to ask you about the prospect of Oregon and Oregon State one day playing in a different conference just feels wrong. Frankly, it, it, it does not feel right. It does not feel like college football at its best. It's the era that we're in. It's what we could be left with. I hope that that we are not, but it feels like, you know, that possibility had died down for quite some time when it looked like the pack had 10 schools and they would add two schools like San Diego State and SMU, which were the two most logical targets. But, you know, the Pac-12 missed the deadline on San Diego State and they, they could add SMU at any time, which is a, a slightly different situation there with the bylaws of the American Conference. But that, that's that's the part about it. Of, of all this that that frustrates me the most is just the absolute disregard for any sort of tradition, circumstance, and circumstance, rivalries, or, or, or anything like that. I suppose in theory, if one team ended up in one conference and one in another, they could have uh, the game formerly known as the, the Civil War every year in a non-conference like Florida and Florida State, but I, I would hate that because I it just it wouldn't it wouldn't feel the same. Yeah, and these are some of the same concerns that we had this time last year when when USC and, and UCLA announced their departure from the Pac-12. You know, obviously, our our first thought is worst case scenario is, is Oregon State headed to the Mountain West? Is you know the, the tradition as we know it disrupted in the Pac-12? And and to an extent, that is true because you have the LA schools gone and, and now obviously Colorado gone now too. Um, a lot of this concerns that we had then, I, I think, dwindled a bit just because it looked like stability was coming. But as it became more and more clear that the conference wasn't going to be able to get this done in a timely manner, um, you know, things started to, to kind of bubble to the surface again. And, and now with another um, actionable change being taken by one of the uh, the member schools, uh, those concerns for the Oregon schools and particularly for Oregon State, I think are, are realistic again. You know, it's if the Pac-12, God forbid, does fold, what happens to a school like Oregon State who we have kind of established isn't a primary candidate for these other conferences? Where does Oregon land? You know, the, the Big Ten didn't add Oregon along with the LA schools. It's Oregon destined for the Big 12 at some point. It's, it's all of these unknowns, and you can't help but – but feel concerned that the worst case scenario is is a legitimate possibility, which I think is scary for some of the smaller market schools in in, in the Pac-12. Do you think that if if you're a fan of any remaining, what are we, the Pac-9 now? 
<laughs> that doesn't sound right, but uh, that's what it is. So of the nine remaining PAC schools is perhaps the rosier way to express the state of the conference. Can you feel like the PAC is a desirable place to be? Like, like, are you able to wrap your head around, hey, without Colorado, USC, and UCLA, the PAC is still a place where, you know, my team, my program, can accomplish its goals on the football field. Do you think that going forward? I think so. Um, at Colorado, as as you know, much hype and, and momentum as it has right now. Um, frankly, as I said earlier, this isn't a program that on the field has competed at a high level very often True. Uh, in the conference. So you know, you're you're not losing a premier program in that regard. Um, I'm sure if Colorado fans are listening, they're going to, you know, they're going to take offense to that or take objection to it. But I mean, if we're being real, they just have it. So, um, you know, in, in that regard, it doesn't change a whole lot. But again, it's it's the momentum of it all. It's the, the precedent that it sets for other schools potentially leaving um, that, that makes it so concerning. Now, you know, for other schools looking to join, I, I think it still is more attractive than say, a Mountain West or an American conference. Um, it still has a lot to offer academically, athletically, financially, um, that, that, frankly, those group of five conferences still can't, still can't match. Um, so I do think there is something to be said for the opportunity, opportunity presented for a, a San Diego State and SMU. Um, but now, obviously, you're going to have to look for a third, fourth, or even fifth uh, smaller, you know, smaller conference program to bring in and um, the, the, the pickings get kind of slim at that point, you know, to be honest, I, we, we've talked about candidates for the last year, it feels like, and, you know, the two that have emerged have, have been SDSU and, and SMU as, as being potential value adds and competitive programs and programs that can build off of um, the additional resources. But I mean, finding programs that that fit the Pac-12 mold becomes a lot harder when you have to start looking for more of them to be honest. So it it um, it, 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 cert- it certainly does and you know what I wonder about is with with the Pac-12 having fumbled this entire situation again which has just become standard operating procedure unfortunately no matter who we've had as commissioner for the last uh, 15 years or so or since the Pac-12 became the Pac-12 in 2011 is any potential Mountain West school, Carter, would have to be probably 2025 unless they could get $34 million or to you know pay the exit fee because we're past June 30th from the Mountain West, or the Mountain West would have to allow them to leave for a lower amount. But I don't know why the Mountain West would do that because that wouldn't be in, in their best interests. But the well, last thing I want to run by you is I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that you can add just SMU, whose timeline hasn't changed uh, in terms of you know how much it'll cost them to leave the conference. You you could add just SMU to be at ten for twenty twenty four, and then for twenty twenty five and beyond. You know, starting in that football season, you have San Diego State, and then insert insert next school. I I would love a Boise or a Fresno State, but it appears that academically the, the pack is not going to budge on either of those particular schools, even though their athletics are certainly up to up to the smell test. But uh, what, what, what do you think of that idea? Yeah, I think that's probably the most logical step forward. But you, you throw logic out the window when you talk about the Pac-12, unfortunately. But 
it creating the stability by getting an SMU in and getting to 10 uh, for 2024. I, I think that is the bare minimum. You know, you can't go into that season with nine or or eight or, you know, seven or whatever it becomes if, if more schools leave. Now, the problem with, as you mentioned, adding more schools is you are going to have to wait for 2025 because uh, we already saw what happened with the San Diego State situation this offseason. You know, they they somewhat ask out of the Mountain West. You know, the Mountain West says they asked out. They say they didn't. Um, and it, it just became this this battle between the, the conferences of, of, of San Diego State and the Mountain West of, hey, you know, you're leaving. You owe us this much money. Well, no, we're not leaving. And it, it was all because the Pac-12 didn't have a media deal. And, and so regardless of, of adding these schools and the timeline in which they do them and the order and, and which season, there's still no media rights deal. And that is precisely what Colorado is leaving. That's exactly why we're talking about the Pac-12 needing to add teams. It, it is a mess that I, I lose more and more confidence every day that the Pac-12 is going to be able to fix. And here I was thinking 36 hours ago, we'd be talking about actual football today. Carter Baines, BeaverBlitz.com, 24-7 Sports. Carter, thank you so much. Thanks, Spencer. The Big Splash is coming up next right here on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Spencer McLaughlin in for John Canzano here on the Bald Face Truth. 750 of the game. Judah and Steven with me in the studio as well. And you know, it it feels like we could miss news just just talking right now, right here. Like all of this stuff. I've just been sitting at my computer all day since I woke up, going on shows, recording shows, getting ready for this, and just and just following the news just kind of all day. And look, the the Pac-12, uh, you know, board, CEO group, athletic directors, Canzano uh, reported that they're. Uh, meeting sometime today to talk about their options, which are not humongously plentiful, shall we say. I think the most feasible one, or at least a a feasible one, in, in my view, is you add SMU to get to 10 teams in 2024, and then you can look at San Diego State plus insert other expansion candidate. Uh, there, there are a lot of different ways they could go. Tulane, Colorado State, Memphis. I wish they would go Boise and or Fresno State, but I, I don't. I, I rarely get what I want in the uh, college college sports world, so that's just kind of the way that it goes. But let's talk about the big splash that you need to hear. Dan Lanning has been extended and given a raise by the University of Oregon. They met earlier today. The board of trustees formally approved the raise for Oregon's soon-to-be second-year head coach, former Georgia defensive coordinator, ten and three in year one. I know that it stings a lot of Oregon fans. He lost to the Beavs and the Huskies, and it can kind of make something that is really, really good, a 10-3 and three season, seem not not quite so good, but a bowl game victory uh, to end the year in the Holiday Bowl against North Carolina. What a game that was uh, last season as well. But he's gotten quite, quite the bump up here, and Oregon's really making a commitment to Dan Lanning as their guy. No matter where they end up playing their games, and we can speculate – from now until a move actually happens as to where Oregon will end up and why they would want to be there and the benefits and the perks and yada, yada, yada and such. But Dan Lanning's salary going into this year under his original contract was slated to be about $4.7 million. 
$1,000, and it was scheduled to go up a little bit year by year, which it still will under the new extension to the contract that uh, that he has signed and the University of Oregon approved from $4.7 million to $7 million, which makes him tied for the 15th highest paid coach in the country along with Kirk Ferentz over at uh, Iowa, which I didn't know that he made that much, but he has been there for quite a long time. Uh, and also Brent Venables at Oklahoma. The contract reportedly goes up by 200000 a year in base salary every year through 2028. There are incentives for winning 10 or more regular season games, conference championships, college football playoff appearances. All of that, I think, is pretty standard for for a coaching contract. But Judah, the, the thing that stands out to me the most in in this deal is that the buyout has has increased by a pretty solid amount. And if another school, be it SEC, ACC, Big Ten, whoever, if somebody wanted to hire Dan Lanning as their head football coach, it's going to cost them a lot of money. And the buyout is in the is in the ballpark somewhere of like twenty ish million dollars is what I've seen. Yeah, it's almost like. Uh... Oregon's been burned on that before <laughs> that they don't want to get burned again by one of their own uh, getting poached by somebody. Obviously, you know, Willie going to FSU, Mario doing the Miami deal. They weren't going to let that happen this time. And it's, they didn't want it to happen last time either, but this does seem uh, pretty darn prohibitive for anyone to, to, um, you know, take Dan Lanning from them. What do you think, man, Spencer, like, is this warranted? Was this was this deserved for landing? Like, is this a measure that Rob Mullins needed to take? You know, the buyout figure being what it is, but also the salary increase. Is he just that darn good of a recruiter that it, it warrants this kind of security? Well, I think the recruiting is is a sizable component to this because I, I would say the on-field results have been quite good and the recruiting results have been pretty great. He's pulled in he pulled in a top ten class in twenty twenty three. When he got there, you know, beginning of 2022, snagged Josh Connerly, number one offensive tackle in the country in his class, slated probably to be Oregon's starting left tackle heading into uh, this season. The class currently has had a, a couple of misses on five stars, or they haven't been able to close the deal on Justin Williams and Elijah Rushing, a pair of five-star defensive players in 2024. They lost out on them to Arizona and, and, and to Georgia, but the class is still number 12 nationally. But I, I do wonder you know, how much this is in in part because of what we've seen in the past and that the early results are good enough. Like, I, I wasn't expecting this to come about. I think you could have very easily justified, you know, keeping the, the contract that was in place until Lanning at least got to a conference championship game or won a conference championship. That's typically when coaches get, you know, an, an extension or a raise. But, you know, it, it can be... Uh, a non-championship season that's warranting that as well. Kalen DeBoer at Washington, for for instance. But I, I also wonder, Judah, if it's the the evolving and changing landscape of college football and all this conference realignment we're talking about. If if Oregon is looking around saying, look, we, we don't know what's going to happen over here. We would like to have this on lockdown, and we've seen enough to say, okay, we, we want to make him one of the 15 highest paid coaches in college football. I think that's exactly what's, what's going on. Is the, the uncertainty is enough to make anybody feel anxious. And I don't know if Rob Mullins or Phil Knight have a clear answer right now as, as to what they want to do conference-wise. But the one thing they do know is they're like, all right, what do we have going for us? Yeah. 
I think our head coach is an asset. Let's make sure he knows that. And even though we've, you know, he lost to the Beavs and the Huskies in year one, three biggest games of the year, he lost them all. It's a little harsh, but still, that's what happened. Let's go, go ahead and raise this guy up by four million. And Steven, I don't, I don't know, man. Are you, are you in the same boat that I am, where it's like it's a little bit of a, of a strange salary bump, you know, given the, uh, given the sizable losses last year, but is it something you have to do given the uncertainty? Well, the recruiting is there, right? Like, I think you guys touched it. The recruiting's there, but the on-field, I still have questions about. I mean, he's supposed to be this defensive coach. The Ducks were 123rd in opponents' third-down conversion last year, and that's what lost of the Washington game we saw last year in the Civil War. That's They lost the game, and all the Beavers did was run the football in the second half. I, I have questions about the Oregon off or Oregon defense with Dan Lannon still, and I think this is going to be a big year for him you know, with you know going down to Texas Tech, down in Lubbock, that's going to be a tricky game in week two. I think there's a lot to prove with Dan Laney, but it's the type of guy where he's so young and he seems like he wants to be in Oregon. Like, you got to take the risk and you got to give him a contract. It was a little early for the extension, but I can see why they did it. Yeah, I, I, I think a tad early perhaps, but the shifting ground is what drove you to do it. And I think you've seen, if you're Rob Mullins, just enough to say, okay, we, we, we can make this happen. We can make this uh, this sort of commitment. But the questions on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, those need to be answered this year. Because I, I thought Oregon's defense would be better than it was a season ago, but they have revamped their roster in a significant way, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And if you're landing defense coordinator, Tosh Lupoy, got to be able to answer those questions. Hour two on the ball space <laughs> We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.